Day joins me today to share some fun history facts from her father's book, To Think It Happened in Grand County. Abbott Fay was a history and philosophy professor at Western State College and has written several history books on Colorado. Sit back and enjoy. Hey, Dee Dee, how are you? I'm fine, Daylene. It's good. How seeing about you? you? I'm good. It's good seeing you virtually. Yes, same yeah. here. <laughs> so, we are going to talk today about your fabulous dad, Abbott Fay. He was such a character and he has written so many fun books about everything from wine to skiing. How did he even get into the study of history, philosophy, and then to writing these books? Well, that's a great question because dad was an anomaly in his family. His father owned a shoe store in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Which is where and I was born. Exactly. It's a small world all the yeah. way around. And none of his, the rest of his family was that interested in history. But as we often hear, it was a history teacher he had in junior high, as they called it back then, who inspired him. And then he just got fascinated with history. And he ended up going to school in Colorado at University of Northern Colorado and got his degree. And his very first job out of college was being the history teacher and principal at Leadville, Colorado at 10,000 feet. So, and then he went on for the rest of his career as a history professor, mostly teaching at Western State College in Gunnison. And then in his retirement, he ended up entertaining himself by digging out the lesser known, unique, quirky stories of history in color all over Colorado. So he and my mother traveled around Colorado digging up funny little stories that happened in the past. All of his books are great. They're still available, aren't they? Like I see them every They are. Time. Are they still available on Amazon? They still are available on Amazon. It, it's so my, my dad passed away 13 years ago and I'm just always amazed that people are still enjoying his books. That, I mean, I just think how pleased he would be to know that people are still learning funny little stories and interesting stories about Colorado history. Well, getting to that point, the book that I really enjoy is the one about our county. So to think that it happened in Grand County. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. What were some of the fun stories that he wrote in that book that you really enjoy? So he wrote that in conjunction with the Grand County Historical Association. They were celebrating their 125th year, the year that dad wrote this, which was 1999. And so they asked him to write sort of a top hits of interesting stories about Grand County. And so he hit upon a lot of the uh, stories that people know a lot about, which is the big shootout in Grand Lake on July 4th, about some of our historic doctors in both Kremlin and Frazier, and about um, Doc Susie is the most famous of those. And then we had kind of a crazy man in hot sulfur called Texas Charlie. So he wrote a little bit about that. And um, about Texas Charlie. Yeah, Texas Charlie. So in these days, we would have immediately got him some mental health services, and we would have immediately put him on some medication. But back in the day, Texas Charlie, his name was Charlie Wilson, he was 19 years old. And he was just a huge troublemaker in hot sulfur springs. And he created all kinds of havoc there. He was he was very abusive to people. He was threatening people, he would carry his gun 
done around all the time. And then it was, oh, oh, he decided to take over in 1884. He decided he was going to take over the whole town at gunpoint. And he asked for people to give up their guns. And then there was some beatings. In other words, it was very violent. I mean, you know, uh, we look back at now, it feels kind of quaint. But in our times, this would have been horrifying as it was to them back in 1884. So basically what happened was several weeks later, he mysteriously was killed. So what happened, obviously, is the citizens of Hot Sulphur Springs got together and ambushed them and nobody talked about it. So nobody was ever convicted or nobody was ever even charged with his death. There were multiple bullets from different guns in his body. (laughs) So so he was executed by the citizens of Hot Sulphur. But that's, you know, that's so typical of that Old West justice. They took care, they took care of their own, they dealt with their own justice without any process back then. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of... horrifying actually (laughs) it is pretty horrifying you mentioned the shootout and i know a lot of people don't realize we had our own tombstone up in grand lake and i'm waiting to make a movie fill us in on the story about the shootout the great shootout in grand lake yeah so so many of the movies and books about the old west are just exaggerated and made up stuff but in grand lake we did it for real And it's been historically documented many times. It basically was a conflict over where the county seat would be. And this all happened in uh, 1883. And that was sort of the peak of Grand County's mining boom. And at the time, the county seat was in Hot Sulphur, which is where it still is today. But what happened was that the influential people in Grand Lake, thinking that a lot of wealth was going to be flowing out of what is now Rocky Mountain National Park, thought this is where the power is. This is where the money is we need to make sure that this is where the county seat is. So there was a lot of disputes back and forth about should we move it, should we not move it, blah, blah, blah. In a nutshell, it came to a gunfight. On July 4th, there were two county commissioners and then the county clerk were having breakfast on July 4th. And then they went out of the restaurant, we're walking along the shore in Grand Lake. Next thing you know, they are ambushed by three other men who are completely masked up. Shots are exchanged because, of course, everybody's carrying a gun on their hip back then. And it ended up when all was said and done, all three commissioners, let me back up, the masked men ended up being the third county commissioner, the under sheriff, and one more very important guy. <laughs> one more uh, high, highly placed guy. So, so long story short, in one day, we practically wiped out an entire county government because five guys died in that shootout, ultimately of their injuries. And then the sixth guy, who was the under sheriff, was found dead a month later in Wyoming of mysterious circumstances. Nobody knows what. And so ultimately, we wiped out six big county officials in Grand Lake, all in one big shootout. And I always like to say that we've learned to settle our disputes with less violence ever since then. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) And and by the way, so the, the two factions were the Grand Lake, move it to Grand Lake, keep it in hot sulfur, because it was all about power. 
you know, you got to remember there was only about three or 400 year round residents in Grand County at this time. So it didn't take much to sway, you know, things one way or the other. But ultimately, after the shootout, uh, it was decided to keep the county seat in Hot Sulphur. So Grand Lake was never the county seat. And as it turned out, the mineral deposits in Rocky Mountain National Park were very poor. They, that ended up being a mining boot that only lasted about five years. And the top take that they ever had in any single year was 10,000, which was about 1% of what they were taking out of Breckenridge. Oh, so everybody okay. moved to the more, the more profit, all the miners moved to the more profitable mining areas. We've never had a big mining presence here in Grand County. So that's, I get asked that question and it's like, no, not really. Not really. No, that's why we, we really don't have a lot of Victorian homes. We don't have Victorian buildings here because there weren't a lot of people here. We had some ranchers, we had a little bit of tourism, but we had none of that big wealth coming in through the mining that you'll see in the Victorian mining towns of Colorado. Oh my gosh, Dee Dee, I never even thought about that, but yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, that's why my 1936 cabin is one of the oldest buildings in Grand County. <laughs> it's just a little itty bitty cabin. And it's so cute right there on the Colorado River. Yeah, and yeah, nobody was making big money back in 1936. <laughs> oh, was there a specific story that happened in Kremlin? Okay, so one, one of the things that was fascinating and certainly very accurately of the attitude in the times that this happened was we had a self-dialed gentleman who came named Lord Gore, who came to the Kremlin area. And the year was, it was 1856 when he came. And back then it was considered very, very, a very standard thing that you would do as a wealthy, as a wealthy noble or a wealthy a title holder, that you would come and kill animals. That was like a manly man thing to do. Plus, if you had the money, you would travel all the way to the wild, wild west of the United States because you knew that's where all the wild animals still were because so much had, so many of the uh, wild animals had been hunted out in Europe. So he, so Lord Gore came to the Kremlin area in 1856, and he had. 25 wagons with him, 24 mules, 112 horses, three milk cows, and 14 dogs. He brought with him 75 rifles, 12 shotguns, and of course, lots and lots of servants to do his bidding at every every moment, every snap of the finger, slept in his brass bed. Now, remember, this is like totally the Wild West, yeah. camping in the middle of nowhere. He had nightly baths in a hot tub, and he dined on superb food served on a table set with fine crystal and silver. And so he went through Wyoming first, but then he dropped into Middle Park, especially that area right around Kremlin, shocked the local Indians that were here, the Native uh -huh. Indians that were here. They could not believe it because basically he just killed everything he could see. So one observer in termed him, quote, an indifferent horseman, a good shot at rest, but a poor shot offhand. So even though he was a poor shot, there was so much game in the Kremlin area during this time period. Here's what the final, according to him, so it may be exaggerated, but it's still horrible no matter what. This was what he killed, 2,500 buffaloes. So that's a fascinating thing because all the buffaloes, we have no buffalo left in Grand yes. County. And so there were so many buffaloes living here indigenously. 40 grizzly bears, 
countless deer, elk, and antelope. So he ended up thinking that he was going to go home kind of being touted as a hero and a big manly man with his rifle, but he ended up being even even the nobles of the day had a hard time stomaching the slaughter that he brought to Grand County in that time period. However, we did name a pass <laughs> and, and a beautiful, beautiful gorge after him. <laughs> there has occasionally been talk about renaming it to a Native American name, but that's never happened. And of course, the name Gore you know, is appropriate because he was very gory. He, yeah, he well, that's true. What a horrible person. I mean, he was the product of his time. That's just what you did. You you went out and killed to show you were all that and a bag of chips. Let's, uh, let's maybe find a happier story and <laughs> talk about Dan yeah, Valley. Yeah. You know, so, so interestingly, a lot of history and a lot of the history that we're always fascinated with is not happy. There's not a lot of happy stories in history, or or at least the stories that we get fascinated with, because, you know, of course, we're all, we're all attracted to like kind of gory stuff. But one very happy story. How, let's talk about Lindbergh for a moment. Oh, sure. Yeah, because Charles Lindbergh has had a very, very close connection to Graham County. Charles Lindbergh, the very famous aviator who was the very first uh, aviator that made a transatlantic crossing and was considered a huge hero. He was like the superstar of his day. He was dashing. He was handsome. Um, so the reason he was connected to this area is he was friends with the Knight family and the Knight family owned a, a ranch, which is now where Granby Reservoir is. So they owned a beautiful ranch and they had actually a landing strip. They were also aviation enthusiasts. And remember, this is in the 1930s. Aviation had only been around for a couple decades in any full, full on progress. So you were considered very brave if you were an aviator. But the Knights were very wealthy people and they built their ranch or they had their ranch and they built the airstrip. And then they got very interested and very connected with Charles Lindbergh because they were some of his financial backers for his transatlantic crossing. And so he, as the biggest you know, media superstar of his time, would come regularly to Grand County. And he was, you know, of course, venerated by all during that time period. And he, it was 1927 when he made his nonstop flight over the Atlantic. He continued coming to Grand County throughout the 30s. He would come up here and recreate with his lovely wife, Ann Morrill. They would vacation up here for months and months during the summer and just loved it up here. But then as usual, things all can take a turn. He, we named a peak after him, a beautiful peak. What you and I think is the most beautiful peak in yeah. yeah, just a, just like a total Swiss pointy peak. It's just gorgeous. And so they named that peak after him. That was called Lindbergh Peak. But then what happened as we started to approach the 1940s, he got very friendly with Hitler. Hitler, of course, he was worldwide famous. And so Hitler really nurtured that relationship and really kowtowed and spent some time. They spent a lot of time together. And so as America was approaching approaching war with Germany, as Europe was already in, in war with Germany, Lindbergh actually started speaking out in favor of the Nazi regime and Hitler. And of course, with as we went through the war and all the losses of the war, 
Of course, that then made Lindbergh a person that we did no longer want to admire. So the name of his peak was renamed Lone Eagle Peak, which is still a nod towards him because his nickname was Lone Eagle. So the peak is still, still honors him somewhat. It's just not as direct an honor as his actual name on the peak. So interesting. Yeah, there's so many great stories in the past. (laughs) There are. That's a good one. What about Frazier? I know we can't not talk about Doc Susie. And I'm trying to remember, he's mentioned in your dad's book. Oh, yes. Well, she, of course, has many, many things written about her. And she also has a whole book just on her. But but dad always in every single one of his books, he always includes Doc Susie because she was such a huge influence, particularly in the Fraser, Fraser Valley where she lived. And she was so unusual for her time because First of all, a woman alone, she never married in the whole time, her whole life, she never married. And a woman living alone in this environment during the time that she lived here, she came to Fraser in 1907, and she ended up living another 50 years here and was a doctor the entire time she lived. She didn't quit doctoring until about like 18 months before she died. So the reason she came to Frazier is because she had tuberculosis and it was very much believed that the clear mountain air of all of Colorado, but particularly the mountains were extremely good for overcoming tuberculosis. tuberculosis. And in fact, she did overcome her illness. She was born in Indiana and she had a very supportive father who believed that women did not have limitations. And that was very unusual. She went to medical school in Michigan, the only woman. You can just imagine. You can just imagine yeah, what she went yeah. through. And she always knew that her her father and her brother went to Cripple Creek to try their best at becoming wealthy through the mining. And they never did, but they did okay. And then she ended up coming up to Frazier because she also had heard that there were no doctors up here. So she thought, I can go to the clear air and I can be the doctor up there. And so when she first arrived in town, it was, it was very rough and tumble. It was ranchers and, and loggers and railroad people, mostly men. I would guess it was probably 85% men. I don't know that for sure. But, you know, so she was a single woman arriving and she says, I'm going to be your doctor. And they were like, huh. Sure, little lady. But what they did slowly but surely is she gained their trust. And there are multiple stories of her first healing their dogs or their horses before any human would trust her to doctor them. But she was such a wonderful doctor that over time, everybody ended up absolutely loving her, trusting her 100%. She would snowshoe to deliver babies. She would ride on the back of a horse to go stitch up people. She was so beloved. And there's a whole room dedicated to her at the Cousins Museum in Frazier, where they actually have her old instruments, a terrifying chair where she did her examinations. It looks like a torture device, but she absolutely was all of Colorado's most respected rural doctors. And especially because the fact that she was a female in this time period. And Doc Susie, I just 
love her. She was, she was a tough woman who knew how to respect herself and respect other people. And over time, that ended her, her earning her such a fabulous reputation. Yeah. And any book you can get on Doc Susie is worth reading. Absolutely. Given that is gifts to many. So, so, okay, let's move down to Winter Park. There's some great history about Winter Park. Yeah, the town of Winter Park has been through lots and lots of different names. But the reason it's called Winter Park now is because they basically wanted to be tied and associated with what ultimately ended up being the very large ski area that's just adjacent to the town of Winter Park. Winter Park has had more names. The town of Winter Park has had more names than any other place in Colorado. And at various times, it was known as Vasquez, probably named after the fur trader, Louis Vasquez. Woodspur, also known as Woodstock. And that was named after Billy Woods, who had a lumber mill siding on the Moffat Road that was near Vasquez Creek. In that same era, they also called it Little Chicago because they had a popular gambling and saloon spot that all the rail work workers would go to blow off steam. And then as it slowly turned into a resort location, it was known as both Idlewild and Hideaway Park. Then in 1923, they, they, they by then they knew the Moffat Tunnel was going to be coming through right through Winter Park. And they decided to call it West Portal because that was the west side of that tunnel. But then eventually in, in 1939, which is when the Winter Park Ski Resort was developed, it finally changed to the name to Winter Park. I didn't know it had all those names. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> just think of the, but you think of the poor post office. They have to keep <laughs> changing the postmarks. <laughs> no, kidding. Well, Dee Dee, this has been fascinating. I've learned some awesome things today. And I think I need to have you back because there were so many other things that your dad has written that pertain to Grand County and so many little fun facts that I've used your dad's book a lot when I've been writing press releases. He has been a real inspiration to to my writing. Thank it's you. That, yeah. he, he's smiling about that right now. <laughs> I hope so. Well, we will schedule another one. This was so much fun. Fun, Dee. I really sounds great. It. Thank you. Let's-